Chapter One of Curly Carson Listens In. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Penn. Curly Carson Listens In by Roy J. Snell. Chapter One A Strange Message. Behind locked and barred doors, surrounded by numberless mysterious looking instruments, sat curly carson to the right of him was a narrow window through that window a dizzy depth below lay the city its square flat roofs formed a mammoth checkerboard between the squares crisscrossed the narrow black streets like a white chalk line drawn by a careless child the river wound its crooked way across this checkerboard to the left of him was a second narrow window through this he caught the dark gleam of the broad waters of Lake Michigan. Here and there, across the surface, twinkled the lamps of a vessel, or flashed the warning beacons of a lighthouse. A boy in his late teens was curly, slender, dark, with coal-black eyes, with curls of the same hue clinging tightly to his well-shaped head. He had the strong profile and the smooth, tapering fingers that might belong to an artist, a pickpocket or a detective an artist curly was an artist in his line radio although still a boy he was already an operator of the commercial extra first class type so far as license and title were concerned he could go no higher a pickpocket he was not but a detective he might be thought to be a strange type of detective however a detective of the air the kind that sits in a small room hundreds of feet in air and listens listens to the schemes the plots the counterplots of men and to the wild babble of fools his task was that of aiding in the capture of knaves and the silencing of foolish folks who use the newly discovered radiophone as their mouthpiece foolish people major whittaker curly's superior who had called him to the service had said do quite as much damage to the radio service as crooks. Fools and knaves must alike be punished. And your task will be to help catch them. Wonderful ears had Curly Carson. Perhaps the most wonderful ears in the world. In catching the fine shadings of diminishing sounds which came to him through the radio compass, there was not a man who could excel him. So curly sat there surrounded by wire-wrapped frames coils keys buttons switches motors dry cells storage batteries and all the odds and ends which make up the equipment of the most perfect listening-in station in the world as he sat there with joe marion his pal by his side his brow was wrinkled in thought he was reviewing the events of the previous night at one a m the witching hour when the crooked ones the mean ones come creeping forth like ghosts to carry on doubtful conversations by radio a strange thing had happened a message had gone crashing out through space wavelengths twelve hundred meters long sped it on its way there was power enough behind it to carry it from pole to pole but all it had said was a slight breeze from the west three times the message had been repeated then had come silence there had been no answer though curly had listened long for it 
on 1,200-meter wavelengths and five other lengths as well. Sudden as had come the message, fleet as had been its passing, it had not been too fleet for Curly. He had compassed its direction, measured its distance. On a map of the city which lay before him, he had made a pencil cross and said, It came from there. And he was right, for, strange as it may seem, an expert such as Curly can sit in a hidden tower room, such as his was, and detect the exact location of a station whose message had set his eardrums a-quiver. The location had puzzled him. There was not a station in the city licensed to send 1,200-meter wavelengths. The spot he had marked was the location of the city's most magnificent apartment hotel. The hotel possessed a radiophone set. Its antennae, hung high upon the building's roof, were capable of carrying that 1,200-meter message with all that power behind it. But the radio equipment of the hotel had no such power. Something's crooked about that, he had mumbled to himself. His first impulse had been to call the police. He did not act upon it. They might blunder. The thing might get out. This lawbreaker might escape. Not five people in all the world knew of Curly's detecting station. He would work out this problem alone. Now, as he sat thinking of it, he decided to confide this new secret to his pal, Joe Marion. Yes, he told himself. I'll tell him about it at Chow. At this moment his mind was recalled to other matters. New trouble was brewing. A slight breeze from the west. His mind went over the message automatically. And the wind was due east. Don't mean much as it stands, but I suspect means a lot more than it seems to. Just above Curly's head there hung a receiver. To the right and left of him were two loud speakers. Before him ranged three others. Each one of these was tuned to a certain wavelength. 200, 350, 500, 600, 1200 meters. Each was modulated down until sounds came to Curly's delicately tuned eardrums as little more than whispers. A concert was being broadcast on 350. The booming tones of a baritone had been coming in as softly and sweetly as a mother's lullaby. But now... Curly's ears detected interference. Instantly, he was all alert. The receiver was clamped down over his ears. A half-dozen switches were sent, snap, snap, snap. There followed a dead silence. Then, in a shrill, boyish voice, together with the baritone's renewal of his song, there came, I want the world to know that I am a wireless operator. Operator. Hoopla! Tra-la! Curly smiled in spite of his vexation. He acted quickly and with precision. His slender fingers guided a coil-wound frame from right to left. Backward and forward it glided, and as it moved, the boyish hoopla rose and fell. Almost instantly it came to a standstill. There, that's it, he breathed. Then, to Joe Marion... It's a shame about those kids. They won't learn to play the game square. Don't know the rules and don't care. Think we can't catch them, I guess. His hand went out for a telephone. Superior 2231, he purred. That you, 2231? Just a moment. He touched a key here, another there. He twisted a knob there. Then... That you, Mulligan? 
he half whispered. Good. There's a kid on your beat, got a wireless running wild. Yes? Broke in on the concert. Don't be hard on him. No license? Yes, I guess that's right. Take away a sending set. Give him another chance? Let him listen in. What's that? Location? Clarendon Street, near Orton Place. About second door, I'd say. That's all right. Thanks yourself. Dropping the receiver on its hook, he tossed off his headpiece, snapped at five buttons, then settled back in his chair. These kids'll be the death of me yet, he grumbled. Always breaking in, not meaning any harm, but doing harm all the same. I don't feel so very sore about them, though. It's the fellows that go in for long wavelengths in high power that break in on 500, 1200, and 1800 that do the real damage. Had a queer case last night. Looks crooked, too. He was silent for a moment. Then he said reflectively, Guess that's about all till midnight. It's after midnight that the queer birds come creeping out. I'm going to tell you about that one last night, over the ham sandwich, dill pickle, and coffee. No use to try now. We'd sure get broken in on. Joe Marion, who had been taken on as an understudy by Curly, was at the present time working without pay. At times, when trouble developed on two different wavelengths at once, he took a hand and helped out. For the most part, he merely looked, listened, and learned. His pal he held in the greatest admiration. And who would not? Had he not, when this great big new thing, the radiophone, came leaping right into the world from nowhere, been able to take a hand from the very beginning and become at once a valued servant of his beloved country? Had he not at times detected meddlers who were endangering the lives of men upon the high seas? Had he not at one time received the highest of commendations from the great chief of this secret service of the air? To Joe there was something weirdly fascinating about the whole business. Here they were, two boys in the tower of the highest building in a great city. Five people knew of their presence. These five were high up in the radio secret service. No message sent out by them could ever be traced back to its source. They did not use the air. That would be dangerous, easily traced. They did not use the telephone alone. That, too, would be dangerous. But when a radiophone had been connected to the telephone wire and tuned to a certain wavelength, then they talked, and not even the person they talked with would ever know whence came the message. This was a necessary precaution, for from this very tower, dangerous bands of criminals, gangs of smugglers, and all other types of lawbreakers would ultimately be brought to justice. And if these but knew of the presence of this boy in his tower room, some dark night that tower would be rocked by an exploding bomb, and the boy in his room would be shaken to earth, like a young mud wasp in his nest. I'll tell you, said Curly, as he rose to answer a tap on the door. I believe that affair last night was some big thing, but what it was I can't even guess. He opened the door to let in Cole's masters, his relief. Then, motioning to Joe, he took his cap and left the room. Down the winding stairs which led to the elevator, several stories lower, down they made their way in silence. 
at last to enter a cage and be silently dropped to the ground hundreds of feet below. End of chapter 1